series that we have simply called Heaven on Earth. And in this series, we have been looking at the spiritual discipline of prayer, of seeking the face of the living God. And we are looking at it through the lens of the prayer that Jesus taught His disciples to pray, a prayer we commonly refer to as the Lord's Prayer. And again, I want to remind you that it never occurred to Jesus that his disciples wouldn't pray. He expected them to pray. In fact, here in the Sermon on the Mount, where we're drawing this Lord's Prayer from, he says, when you pray, do not pray like the hypocrites. When you pray, do not pray like the heathen. He fully expected that his disciples would follow his example and they would pray without ceasing. Now again, I want to remind you that as Jesus introduces this Lord's Prayer to his disciples, he's not saying to them, this is the only prayer that you are to pray. He's not saying pray this only or pray this uh, verbatim. He's not saying that whenever we pray, this is all that we are to ever pray. When he says pray in this manner, he actually is saying pray along these lines. When you pray, it should sound something like this. Jesus is saying this is our model prayer. This is an outline for all prayer. And the beauty of the Lord's Prayer is that what? It takes you maybe 20 minutes, maybe 20 minutes to memorize the Lord's Prayer. And Jesus did that so that when we went to pray, that we could use it as a guide to build rhythm in our prayer life. And that's how he was introducing. He's saying, listen, I know you want to know how to pray. I'm giving you this outline so you can commit it to memory. And then as you're praying, it can be your guide. Pay attention to the rhythm of the Lord's Prayer. Pay attention to the order of these prayers. There is an order that God has established. And I don't mind telling you that I have been praying the Lord's Prayer, not verbatim, but as an outline, for probably the last 27 years. I think it's about 27 years ago that I first heard that the Lord's Prayer was a model, was an outline. And so 27 years ago, I began to follow that outline. And it has led me to some of the most rewarding moments with the living God that I have ever experienced. I don't pray it verbatim. I just use it as a guide. And maybe even this morning, I'll take some time to share with you how I've worked through this prayer in my own heart and in my own life. Because I know a lot of people struggle with prayer. But folks, you can't struggle with prayer. We need to be praying like we have never prayed before. What we are facing in this hour, we cannot get through by might nor by power, but by the Spirit of the living God. And God's Spirit is released to us as we pray and we seek the face of God. Now, we have been looking at this through the Sermon on the Mount. Right in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus stops and he talks to them about prayer. We're reading it out of Matthew chapter 6, and we're reading it out of the Old King James Version. Not because we're switching to the Old King James, but because, again, those who have memorized the Lord's Prayer have typically memorized it in the Old King James language. And so just to keep that continuity, we're studying it this way. So if you have your Bibles, you can follow along, or you can follow along on the screen. But this is what Jesus said, Be not ye therefore like unto them 
For your Father knoweth what things ye need of before ye ask Him. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, and we've been doing this every week, I want you to say this with me, but say it so loudly that everyone around you think you're being annoying, okay? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen and amen. One last time, would you give God all the praise in this house for such a remarkable prayer. Amen. Now this morning, we're going to finish this out. And I don't have a lot that I need to add at the end. So I'd like to take a little more time just to highlight uh, where we've already been. This has been a little longer of a series than what we typically do. And so I want to make sure before we close this chapter that we really remember some of the highlights that we have made along the way. The very first word that should grip our hearts is the very first word that Jesus uttered, our. Because right out of the gate, Jesus is reminding us that prayer is not about us. That prayer is about the body of Christ. That as we pray for ourselves, we also need to be praying for one another. Now, God is a personal God, He knows you personally, He answers you personally, but Jesus wants to remind us that we are a body of believers and that we are to pray for one another. And so we need to remember the heart of Christ is to build community, is to build relationships with one another. Jesus never intended that we would just show up to church once a week, but that we were building relationships with the men and women that we fellowship with so that we would know what they're going through and that we would pray for them as well. God is very much into being a family and as a family of believers we are to pray for one another in Jesus name. Now I'm going to tell you it's not at this point. Usually it's when I get to the section um, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven that I pray for those who are near and dear to my heart. Everyone I love, but there are some, I think you would know, are closer to me than others, and it's at that point that I pray for them. Now, I wish that I could stand here today as your pastor and tell you that I pray for all of you by name. I don't. I don't know all of you, and that would just take me forever. I would do nothing else but that. But you do need to know that my daily prayer always involves you, that I am praying for Bethel, that God would protect us, that God would sanctify us, that God would work in our hearts and within our lives. But as I pray every day, there are certain individuals that I will pray by name, okay? Every morning, it's not again here at the beginning, it's when I get to that section that says your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that I will begin to pray for various individuals. The first person I pray for every day 
is my wife. I will always pray for my wife at the very beginning. I then pray for my daughter. I pray for my son. I pray for my daughter-in-law. I pray generally for them, but then I pray for them specifically. With Josh and Linda, it's that they would get busy and have a grandchild here. All right. <laughs> no, but you know what I mean. All right. So I'm praying for my my immediate family. I, I move from there to my mom and my dad and my grandmother, my, my brother and his family. Um, I pray for Kathy's family, for my family. I pray for any in our families that I know do not know the Lord. I call their name out and I ask for God to have mercy upon them and for God to bring someone into their life today that would share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. I, I intercede for those in my family that I know are not walking with Jesus Christ. It's then that I move on to all of our pastors and their wives and their children and I call them all out by name. And sometimes I pray longer than others. Sometimes I just speak in general. It depends on what season they're going through. But I pray for all the pastors, their wives, and their children by name. I pray for all of our office staff and their families by name. I pray then for all of our elders and their wives and their children and their grandchildren, if I know them, by name. I then move on to all of our deacons and their wives and their children and their spouses when they get married and for their children and their grandchildren. I pray all of them by name. I pray then for all of the men that attend my small group. And that's why I encourage all of you to be in a small group. Everybody says, I'm too busy. Nobody's busier than me. But I do it every week. And there are some weeks that I don't want to do it, but I do it because it's about body um, relationship. So I pray for all of the men. I love the way you said amen, by the way. <laughs> that we all should be in it. But I pray for all of the men that are in my Proverbs group. I pray for their wives. I pray for their children. I pray for their grandchildren. I pray for any specific needs that they have. And that really rounds out my prayer time. Now, there are some pastors that I'm closer to that I pray for. There are some specific requests that are made to me that I'm aware of, and I will carry them into prayer. And then I pray for everyone here in Bethel in general. But I am constantly praying for uh, the other people that are in my lives. And listen, folks, that's why I can't understand when people say, I don't know what to say after five minutes, Pastor Kurt. I'm like, five minutes? It takes me at least 30 minutes to get through that list that I just gave you. So if you are having a hard time praying, then I would just tell you, you don't know how to pray, or you are very selfish and self-centered in your prayer, and you've made it all about you. It takes me 20 minutes to 30 minutes of my prayer time just to work through the list of men and women that I have to pray for on a continual basis because it's not just about me, it is about the body of Christ in Jesus' name. Can I hear a better amen than that? All right? Our. That's the first word. Then it's our Father. Father underlines the intimate relationship that God wants with every single one of us. He wants to be our Father, and He wants us to be His children. Remember, we do not believe in the universal fatherhood of God. 
We do not believe that God is the father of all mankind or that all of us are God's children. We do not believe that. Jesus did not believe that. Jesus said, you are of your father, the devil. Uh, John picked up on that in 1 John chapter 3, I believe it is. Paul called us all children of wrath. So we are not the children of God by virtue of being born physically. We are the children of God because we were born spiritually into the kingdom of God. John said, as many as received him gave he the right to be the children of Almighty God. And so we are born again by the Spirit into the kingdom of God and the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are in fact the children of God. So he wants to be our Father. He wants to be our Papa. He wants to be our Daddy. How many of you are thankful that God the Father wants to be your Daddy? He wants to be your Papa. That's the intimate relationship that He wants with us. But lest any of us become too familiar with Him, He says, oh, and by the way, He's your Father in heaven. He says He is your heavenly Father. He is in heaven. That means that the heavens are His throne and the earth is His footstool and everything is under His feet. Jesus anticipating that we would take advantage of this wonderful relationship with God as our Father says, oh, and by the way, remember He is in heaven. And because He is in heaven, He is still worthy of your praise, of your honor, and of your respect. How many of you know that He is is worthy of all of our praise. And so he balances that out. He says, yes, he's your father, but remember, he is in heaven and he's worthy of your praise. Enter into his presence with honor and with respect because he is a mighty, mighty God. That then leads us into the first of seven petitions or seven requests. And God has life covered in those seven requests. There's really nothing else that we need to pray when we think of these seven requests that he lays out. The very first request is, hallowed be thy name. That is not a declaration. It is not a statement. That is a request. It's all right to praise the Lord while you're praying. Don't misunderstand me. But that is the first request. We're praying, Lord, may your name be hallowed. The word hallowed means um, elevated. It means separated. It means set apart. It means sanctified. It means holy. It is the idea that God is to be elevated above all the earth that He might draw all hearts unto Himself. And so our very first request is, Lord, may You be elevated today above the world that You may draw hungry hearts unto Yourself. And we're not praying that abstractly. Like, Lord, somehow today... I want your name to be hallowed. No, we say, Lord, may your name be hallowed in us. Lord, may your name be hallowed in my life. May your name be elevated in my life. May your name be separated and sanctified and set apart and holy in my life. Lord, may my conduct, may my behavior, may my conversation, may my location, may everything about my life, what I set before my eyes, what I listen to today, what I meditate on my mind, Lord, may it 
elevate you. May you be glorified in my life. And may I not in any way distract men and women from the glory of Almighty God. You know, you begin to pray in that vein. Lord, I have taken your name. I am a child of God. I am a Christian. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. You've entrusted your name to me. And my prayer is that I would not take your name in vain and blaspheme your name by living a way that is not conducive with the character and the nature of Almighty God. But may men and women see how I live and glorify the Father that is in heaven. That's how you pray. You say, Lord, your name is wonderful. Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father. You are the Prince of Peace, you've been given a name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Your name is excellent above all the earth. Your name is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and they are saved. Oh God, in a world that will blaspheme your name today, may your name be glorified in my life. May I do nothing to bring reproach or any kind of blasphemy to your name but may I glorify you alone. That's how I pray in the morning. Folks, that's where we begin. That's your first request. Lord, hallowed be your name. The second request, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Kingdom comes from two words, if you remember, king and dominion. And so your second request is, Lord, may you be king over my life and have dominion over my will. That's your second request. Lord, today I humble myself before you. You are the king over my life and may you have dominion over my will. You know, I'm going to just tell you again, this is how I pray at this point too. As I work through that, I believe with all of my heart that the Holy Spirit is the agent of the kingdom of God that abides within me today. And so when Jesus said, I don't know if you remember this, but there was a point when Jesus said to his disciples, there will be some of you that will not taste death until you see the kingdom of God come in power. He was talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit that was poured out in the book of Acts. That's what he was talking about there. So the Holy Spirit is the agent of the kingdom of God that abides within us. So when I am praying, your kingdom come, I will pray, Lord, may you be king over my life and have dominion over my will. But I will also pray, Holy Spirit, use me today to manifest the kingdom of God in the earth that I live in. And I, I will pray through the gifts of the Holy Spirit that are given to us in 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. And I'll say, Lord, I am a vessel today, but the gifts of the Spirit are still with us. And so I would ask that today, if there need to be a tongue or an interpretation of tongues, if there need to be a prophecy or a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom, if there needs to be faith or healing or miracles or discerning of spirits, whatever is necessary, I I pray that your kingdom would come through me into this world that I live in, in Jesus' name, because it's all about the advancement of the kingdom of Almighty God. 
Now, there are times when I will also pray about the future coming of the kingdom of Almighty God. And I'll say, Lord, today remind me that you could come today. And if you were to come today, may I be found with my garments white. May I, may I be found looking for you. For unto those that look for you will you appear a second time without sin unto salvation. I don't know if you realize it, but as I'm going through it, I'm going through many of the things that I pray And if you're paying attention, you know that many things I'm praying come right out of the Word of God. You should always read the Word of God before you pray and then carry the Word of God into your prayer for the glory and the honor of His name. And so that's what I will pray. That's your second request. Your third request, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right now I know that in heaven everyone is doing the will of God. There is not one person in heaven that is stumbling over the will of God. They're all doing the will of God. So when I pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, I'm praying, Lord, may your will be done in my life on this earth as it is in heaven. May I be submitted to the will of God. And this is when I will go back to my devotions because many of you know how I do my devotions. I get up every morning and I begin with a very simple prayer and that is that the Holy Spirit would awaken the Word of God to my heart. And then I begin to read the Scriptures. I start out with my proverb. Many of you know that there are 31 proverbs, one for every day of the week. So tomorrow will be the 25th. Am I right on that? Uh, So I will read Proverb 25, and I will make notes of any of those Proverbs that speak to my heart. Then I will read whatever book of the Bible I'm reading at that time, and I will write down verses that the Lord is dealing with me from that portion of Scripture. If I'm reading a devotional book along with it, I'll write other thoughts down. And I believe that having all of that, the Lord has spoken to me. So then I go into my prayer, and when I get to your will be done, this is when I take what I've learned in the scriptures and say, Lord, may I do this in my life as it is being done in heaven for the glory and the honor of your name. And so this is where I pray through the will of God for my life and the will of God for those that I mentioned earlier in the message. Those are the first three requests and guess what? None of them have anything to do with you. They have nothing to do with you. God says, listen, let's establish one thing straight here right now. This is about my name being glorified, my kingdom coming, and my will being done. I am not here concerned about your agenda. I am here concerned about my agenda. In fact, I was looking at this the other day and I didn't realize it, but when he says, hallowed be your name, thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. The words there in the Greek language denote a sense of urgency. What he's saying is the urgency of the kingdom of God is that his name be elevated, that his kingdom would come, and that his will would be done on earth. There is nothing more pressing to God than his name being exalted and his kingdom coming and his will being done because he is the savior of this world. The world doesn't need a better you, but the world does need a king of kings and lord of lords and we are here to promote his kingdom in jesus name can somebody say amen to that okay now we move to our own personal request give us this day our daily bread i'm not going to take a lot of time here with this this is where we ask for the necessities 
of life. It's when we ask for physical bread to sustain us physically. It is where we ask for spiritual bread to sustain us spiritually. Lord, you know the family I have. You know what our needs are, not what our wants, what our needs are. And I'm asking you for those daily needs to be met so that I can sustain myself physically and also spiritually because not only does he have physical bread to feed your physical body, he has spiritual bread from the scriptures to feed you spiritually in Jesus' name. Give us this day our daily bread. Jesus really forbids us to pray for the future. He says, look, tomorrow has its own worries. You carry, you be concerned with today. Today, give us this daily bread. Don't hoard up the blessings. Seek me every day and you will find me. Then we move on to forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, I wasn't here for that week. Pastor Joe shared a wonderful message with you about that. And I don't want to go back and reiterate that, but as your pastor, there are two thoughts that I had as I considered that portion of Scripture myself that I want to pass on to you today. Uh, A couple of weeks before Pastor Joe shared that message, he came into my office and he said, you know, Pastor, I just want to make sure that I'm sharing your heart right and that, you know, I'm on the same page. He said, there are a number of pastors, a number of spiritual teachers that will teach that God will forgive you even if you don't forgive others, but you're going to miss out on God's best. He said, what do you say to that? Because there are. I don't know if you've ever listened to them, but there are a number of teachers that will say that. God will forgive you even if you don't forgive others, but you're going to miss out on God's best for your life. And I said, Pastor Joe, listen, I'm not a scholar I am not a Greek scholar, a Hebrew scholar. I'm none of that. But I'm going to tell you, as far as I am concerned, you've got to do a lot of manipulation to the Scripture to arrive at that conclusion. As I said, there is not one Scripture in the New Testament that I can point to that says, God will forgive me if I do not forgive others, but I'm just going to miss out on God's best for my life. I don't see anything in the Scripture that says that. But I see a whole lot of scripture that tells me if I don't forgive, he won't forgive. And I said, I just, I just feel like you've got to really tamper with the word of God. And that's what happens when we have already developed a theology and we're not going to let anybody tell us anything different. When we come to a scripture that, that really speaks against it, we have to twist it and manipulate it so that we can preserve what we believe rather than submit to the word of God. I said, but you know what? I'm not going to get into an argument and I'm not going to get into a debate on it. It's just not worth it. Because to me, the issue is not whether God will forgive me if I do not forgive others. To me, the issue is how can I be forgiven and not forgive others? Anyone that has truly been forgiven of their sin cannot help but forgive others for what they've done to them. That's just my observation. A, a, you know, a thank you for that one or two amens here today. I, anyone that has truly been forgiven for what they've done to God cannot help themselves but forgive others for what they've done to them. And it may not come easily. I'm not suggesting it at, at all that it would be easy. But I don't know how anyone can stand in the light of God's mercy and God's 
grace and receive forgiveness for what they've done to God, but not return that forgiveness to others, what they've done to them. Because what I've done to God is infinitely worse than what anyone has ever or will ever do to me. Ever. And if I ever lose sight of that, all i got to do is go back to the cross. And I see the measures that it took for God to redeem me back to Himself. And so how can I, knowing what God has forgiven me of, now stand and not release someone for what they've done to me? Folks, I just believe if you're here today and you're struggling with unforgiveness, and I see a lot of people struggling with it today, then I would just urge you to get back to the cross and see what grace He has shown you. And out of that, I believe, will be the grace to forgive what others have done to you in Jesus' mighty name. Can you give God the praise for that? Now, there is something else that I want to share here with you because to me this is, this is very important. Have you ever considered how far into the prayer you go before you actually get to forgiveness? Like there's no accidents in the kingdom of God. To me, it just grips my heart whenever I consider that it's well beyond halfway through the prayer that we finally get to forgiveness. Now, maybe that means nothing to you. And maybe I am the exception to the rule. But I know when I fail, I know that when I stumble, when I sin, the first thing I want to ask for is forgiveness. Jesus seems to say, no, 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 don't start there. He says, I I want you to wait until much later, almost to the end of the prayer, before you ask for forgiveness. Have you ever thought about that? Why would Jesus delay asking for forgiveness to almost the end of the prayer when the very first thing we want to do when we fail is ask God to forgive us? Now, this is conjuncture on my part. I understand that. But as I study the scriptures, I would believe that the reason he said, wait till close to the end, is because repentance and forgiveness is a process, not an event. We treat repentance and forgiveness as an event that we show up to, rather than a process that we walk through. And repentance needs to be always seen as a process and not an event. Listen, I can't be the only one that have seen this. Everyone sounds repentant when they get caught. I mean, for the first few days, for the first few weeks, everyone sounds repentant. They sound sorrowful. But can I tell you, you don't see whether someone's repentant for the first few days... Or the first few weeks. It's not until you get months away from the event that you begin to see whether someone has genuinely repented of their sin or if they just wanted to say, I'm sorry, because they got a guilty conscience. You see, Jesus recognized, listen, if the first thing you want to do is ask for forgiveness, the tendency is to come to me with your guilt and you don't want to feel guilty anymore, with the fear that your reputation is going to be marred somehow, and it's more about you than it is about God and those who were created in His image. So Jesus said, you know what, before you show up in the presence of God and just from a selfish heart say, Lord, you know, I messed up again, please forgive me. He says, no, I want you to go right through this process. 
Because there's some things I need to deal with you about before you ask me to forgive. I want you to start out with Father. Because I want to remind you that even though you've sinned, I'm still your dad. (laughs) How many of you are glad that even when you fail... He's still your dad. I mean, that's the beauty. He says, don't ask me for forgiveness yet. Come and say, Father, because I want to remind you that even though you've sinned, even though you've messed with my will, I'm still your dad and I love you. Oh, and by the way, I'm still in heaven too. So don't even think of hiding anything from me because I already know what you did. So confess it to me. Be transparent with me because I already see it. And then I want you to pray Hallowed be your name so that you can remember you didn't hallow my name. You brought reproach to my name. And then I want you to pray your kingdom come so that you will remember you sought your kingdom, not mine. And then I want you to pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven so that you'll remember your rebellion and the extent of your rebellion and doing your will rather than my will. And then I want you to ask me for your daily bread Because there is nothing more humiliating than asking God for something when you know you don't deserve it. And he says, then by the time you get to forgiveness, your heart will be broken, not over what you've lost, but what you've done to me and what you've done to others so that you can truly repent of your sin. And when you do, I'll forgive and abundantly pardon How many of you are thankful that our God will forgive us of sin? Amen. Those are two thoughts I wanted to leave you with. I would also say this. By the grace of God, I don't know that I have a lot of enemies, and unforgiveness has never really been a struggle in my life. Other things have. That hasn't been one of them. But this is a time when I will also pray for individuals that maybe I am struggling with at the time. How many of you know that there are just people in this world you struggle with? Am I the only one? There's, thank you. You and I are the only ones here today, Patty. How, how many of you would say, there's just some people you struggle with? Amen. We, we do. We just struggle. We struggle with individuals. They, they've done things to us. We've done things to them. There's just tension. This is where I will pray, Lord, show me how to be gracious. Show me, Lord, how to bless those who curse me. Show me, Lord, how I can bless those who despise me. I'll include that there in my prayer. Then it moves on to the final two requests, okay? The final two requests. And of course, that is lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And what we talk, isn't it interesting that it's right out of asking for forgiveness that then he starts talking about the next battle, Lead us not into temptation. It's Jesus' way of reminding us the fight goes on. Turn to your neighbor and tell them the fight goes on. Every day, we just feel like we're asking for forgiveness and moving on to the next test. That's what it's like. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And last week, we talked about that this is not really that confusing, that temptation is better understood as a test. God would never tempt you to do evil. Never. But will he allow things in your life to test your faith and your confidence in him? Absolutely. Because he uses those tests to promote you. So he will allow circumstances to test your faith and your confidence in him. But the enemy will use the exact same circumstances to tempt your flesh, to draw you away from the Lord. 
And so that struggle is always there. And that's why Jesus said, it's all right to pray, Father, lead me not into a test today. Because who wants to be tested? Again, I ask you, are there any of you that like to be tested? Are there any of you that enjoy a good test? None of us do. And he said, it's all right to pray. Lord, if there's any way, lead me from this test today. But then he says, if a test is required, if I need to go through this season of testing, then what I would ask you is deliver me from the evil intentions of the evil one. He has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And what I'm asking is that, Lord, you would keep me submitted to you and resist the enemy so that he must flee in Jesus' name. I don't mind telling you that when I pray, a lot of times I pray at this point, Lord, keep my eyes open. Help me to be discerning because today there are going to be many, many paths that I can choose. And all of them are going to look good to begin with. But some of them are going to end in great pain. And the Proverbs tells us that a wise man sees approaching danger and hides himself. A foolish man hardens his heart and pushes on to his own destruction. Lord, help me to discern. Lord, give me wisdom so that I can test the spirits to see if they're of God. This is where I do maybe some of my spiritual warfare in recognizing that there is an enemy that has come to steal, to kill, and destroy, but Christ has come to give me life, and I want to be surrendered to the presence of Almighty God in my heart and my life. And that is the final request, and that brings us to the end of this incredible prayer For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This is what is referred to as the doxology. This is the closing of this prayer. Some translations leave it in, others leave it out. And that's because there is debate as to whether Jesus said this or not. I'm not going to get into that. I'm just going to tell you that the Lord in His sovereignty allowed it to be left in the old King James Version. And we're going to treat it as something that was meant to be said. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. It is a statement of praise, there is no doubt about it, and there's, again, nothing wrong with praising the Lord there, but it also is a reminder of the context of all prayer, and that is God. That prayer is about the exaltation of Almighty God. This is not about you and I trying to further our agenda, it is about God moving His agenda in the earth. Prayer, number one, as I close this out, number one, prayer is about the kingdom of God. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, prayer is about the kingdom of God. Jesus was saying, hey, lest you forget, prayer started out being about the kingdom of God, and it still is about the kingdom of God, and it always will be about the kingdom of God. No matter how much you want to interject yourself into prayer, it's all about God. And His kingdom and His glory forever and forever. Everything we pray for, everything we pray for, everything that we pray for without exception has to always be prayed for within the context of the kingdom of God. Does what I am praying for advance salvation? Does it advance deliverance? Does it advance healing? Is it going to glorify God? If not, I'm not going to pray for it. Because it's all about the kingdom of God. And listen, folks, we really struggle with that. 
I mean, let's be honest. Most of us want it to be about us. Now, we're all savvy enough that we would never say that. By the way, I've got to stop and say it's Cindy, not Patty. Patty is your sister. <laughs> I know. I just thought of that, and it bugs me. You know, like, that's how my mind works. While I'm preaching, I'm saying, I got her name wrong. And I'm sorry, Cindy. I know Cindy very well. And so I've got to stop there. It's all about his kingdom, Lord. It's not about how good I am of a preacher. It's making sure I just honor God in all that I do. He says it's all about the kingdom of God, and we struggle with that because we want it to be about us. Now, most of us are savvy enough that we're never going to say, oh, yeah, prayer is all about me. But let's be honest. Many of us, like the disciples, see God as a means to an end, a means by which I can pray and get what I want done in this earth as it is in heaven. And we see that even in the disciples. I love Acts 1. Acts 1, verses 1 through 3. These verses are written by Luke. Okay, Luke was not a disciple of Christ. He was a follower of Christ that came much later. And he wrote, literally, Luke wrote most of the New Testament. You know, we we think that Paul did. Actually, volume-wise, Luke wrote more than Paul, unless Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, which many people do not believe that he did. And this is what Luke said. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up. After he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive, after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of Almighty God. Now, this is after Jesus rose from the dead, and for the next 40 days, at various times, Jesus appeared to his disciples, and whenever he saw them, he spoke to them about the things pertaining to the kingdom of Almighty God. He spoke to them about nothing but the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus always talked about the kingdom of God. In fact, when he started out the ministry, what did he say? He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He was always teaching them parables and saying the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of God is like. He said at various times, if I cast out demons with the finger of God, know that the kingdom of God has come near to you. But over these 40 days, it was much more concentrated. It was much more intensive as he talked to them about the kingdom of God and saying it's all about the kingdom of God. But the disciples didn't get it. And I know they didn't get it because in verse 6 of Acts 1, it says, Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, Jesus, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus was talking about the coming of the kingdom in their heart by the Holy Spirit. They were talking about the future kingdom of God coming. And the reason they wanted Jesus to come and establish his earthly kingdom is because they had been promised that they would rule with him for all of eternity. This was a polite way of saying, Lord, we're glad that your spirit is coming, but we want you to come and start the kingdom again so that we can call the shots, so that we can finally rule, because that's the way we are. We want to rule. We want it to be all about us. And Jesus said, you're still not getting it. It's not about you. Turn to your neighbor and tell him it's not about you. It will never be about you. Never, never, never turn to him and say, it'll never be about you. 
It's never going to be about you. Prayer is sabotage because we make it about us when it is about the kingdom of God. About people being saved. About people being healed. About God delivering men and women and restoring marriages and bringing righteousness into the earth. That's how we should be praying for the glory and the honor of God. Now, by this point, you should be feeling a little overwhelmed Because at this point you should be thinking, I am praying for things that are impossible to do in my own strength. I am actually requesting from God to do things I cannot do in my own strength. I mean, think about it. The very first request, as flesh and blood men and women, is that somehow God's name would be glorified in our lives. That his kingdom would come. That his will would be done. That provisions from on high would come to us. That we would forgive others as we have been forgiven of our sin. That we would not be led into temptation but would be delivered from evil. All of that is impossible in our own strength. But remember the confession. For thine is the kingdom and the what? And the power. And that power is the Holy Spirit. Prayer is not only about the kingdom of God. Prayer is through the power of the Holy Spirit. How many of you are thankful for the Holy Spirit of God? And we're going to bring the Spirit in at this point. Not only does God possess all power and all authority to do what He has promised to do, but He provides that power to every believer through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of Almighty God so that what cannot be done in our own strength can be done by the Spirit of God abiding in us in Jesus' mighty name. The disciples may not have gotten it about the kingdom of God, but they did eventually Because Jesus went on and said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in His own authority. God is going to show up when He wants to show up. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now if these were strong, godly men and women, then we would have no problem understanding that. But the reality is, every one of them were scared of their own shadow. Right after Jesus died, they locked themselves up for fear that they were going to be arrested and crucified they did not want to be arrested they did not want to be crucified they were scared to death and Jesus said I know you can't do it in your own strength but you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you're going to be witnesses and the word witnesses there is not a good translation it should say martyrs You will be my martyrs in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth as you declare my name. And they're thinking, how can we do it? You're not going to do it by your might nor your power, but you're going to do it by the Spirit of the living God. And it tells us that suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire. One sat upon each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues and the Spirit gave them the utterance and that day Peter stood up and boldly proclaimed the name of Jesus Christ and 3,000 people were added into the kingdom of God on a single day. Folks, this is the power that God wants to give us in this last day. I love two chapters later, 
James and, and John were actually, uh, uh, Peter and John, excuse me, were arrested and they were brought before the religious leaders. And it tells us when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power, by what name have you done this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if this day we are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name... They were called to glorify the name, to hallow the name, and they were doing it. By the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus God help us to be men and women that when we come out of our prayer closet we are known as men and women who have been with Jesus Christ because what we're doing is not done because we're charismatic and because we're well trained but because we're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit of the living God Almighty can somebody say amen to that You can't do it. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, you can't forgive like that. You can't be merciful like that. But with him, all things are possible. Come on, give him the praise in this house. In Jesus' name. And then number three, prayers for his glory. Prayers about the kingdom of God. Prayer is through the power of the Holy Spirit. And prayer is for his glory. He says, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. That word glory here is interesting. It it, it means a reputation or an estimation that commands respect, honor, and magnificence or majesty. God has a reputation that commands respect and honor and majesty. And so when we pray... For anything, it should always be that his reputation would be upheld to the extent that it commands respect and honor. Be a good filter for you. As you pray and you're ready to dig out your list, just say, wait a minute. It's not about me. So before I request anything, is God answering this going to uphold his Uh, his character and his nature to the extent that it will command honor and respect from those who see it. Am I doing this for my reputation or am I doing it for the reputation of Christ? I want want you to see something here. 2 Peter 1 and verse 17 says, For he received from God the Father honor and glory When such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Speaking of Jesus, many of you know when Jesus came out of the waters of baptism, the Holy Spirit descended upon him in the form of a dove. And and God said from heaven, the Father, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. It was at that moment that Jesus, in his humanity, Remember, he's 100% God, but he's 100% man. At the same time, in his humanity, he received glory and honor. And over the next three and a half years, Jesus would receive a lot of glory and honor. But what's amazing is that he never received the glory, the honor. He always gave it back to the Father. 
when men and women came to him and they said, oh, Jesus, we love your miracles. I mean, these signs and wonders, they are so awesome. Jesus said, you like that, huh? Well, just remember, most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the father do. For whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. You like the miracles I do? Just remember, I saw the father doing it. And I'm only allowed to do whatever he wants me to do. He gave all the glory to the father. Then they came to him and they said, man, we love your teaching. Man, your teaching just sets us on fire. You teach with power and authority, unlike the religious leaders of the day. We love your teaching, Jesus. He says, really? You need to know that I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. You like what I'm saying? The Father said it first, and I'm only saying it because he told me to say it. He gave all the glory to the Lord. Finally, they learned their lesson, and they said, you know what, Jesus, we're just glad you showed up here. And he says, oh, really? As the living Father sent me, and I live because of my Father. He says, I was sent by the Father. I was sent by Dad to you. Jesus refused to receive any glory until the very end of his ministry. It was at the, the time when he made the triumphant entry that he was willing to reveal himself for who he was. Up until that point, he gave all the glory to God. You were created to give glory to God, not to take glory at all. I love this illustration. I've used it a couple of times. It's wrong to say, boy, that moon is shining bright today. Because technically, the, sun, the, the moon has never shone at all. It's just a ball of dirt that reflects the light of the sun. And for all you think you are, you're just a ball of dirt that reflects the glory of the sun, Jesus Christ. That's it. You can put Armani on You can drive in a $100,000 Bentley. You can wear Jimmy Choo shoes. You can have a Mavada watch or a fossil. At the end of the day, you are nothing but a ball of dirt meant to reflect the glory of God. And how dare any of us stand in the light of his glory and take a bow as if we're something. All of us, the Bible says, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've fallen short of giving God the glory. That's what it's about. But through the Holy Spirit, we've been born again so that we might receive glory from on high. The Bible actually says in 2 Corinthians 3, in verse 17, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, Christ, from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So what he's saying is that you were born again by the Spirit, so that you might bear the image of Christ. And so every day we are being transformed from glory to glory into that image. So we return the glory to the one whose image we bear. That, of course, is Jesus Christ. So when you're at work 
or you're shopping or you're with family, wherever you are, when people come to you and they say, I have never seen anyone so forgiving in my life. I watched how they treated you. And yet you forgave and you were merciful to them. It's amazing that you say, oh, I can't take any credit for that. I'm only forgiving because I was forgiven of worse. To God be the glory. Man, I I watched you this year. You went through hell in your home. And your marriage, I know how your husband was. I know how your wife was. But there is a peace that resides over your heart. I have never seen you rattled. There's such a peace. I can't take any credit for that. I have peace with God. And that peace passes all understanding. It's the Lord. It's not me. I, I, I see you bouncing around here. There's such joy in your heart. It just bounds. Like, have you ever had a bad day? Oh, I've had a lot of bad days. But I have joy unspeakable and full of glory because of what Jesus has done for me. It's all for him. I see the work you've done. You have such a creative mind. Look at the, the volume of your work. Look at the intensity of your work. You work so hard. I can't take any credit for that. God gave me my mind. God gave me my creativity. And anything that I have ever done has only been by his grace and his strength. And what he did in me, he can do in you. We receive no glory. How long are you going to do that? Forever and ever and ever. It's always about the Lord. It's for his kingdom. It's by His power and it's for His glory forever and ever and ever. It will never be about you. It never was about you. It's not about you now. It's for His glory in Jesus' mighty name. Give Him praise. Hallelujah. Oh, can you stand to your feet here? Can you stand? Lift your hands up to Him. Come on, lift up your voice and just praise the Lord this morning. Can you do that? Lift up your hands. Lift up your voice to Him and give Him all the praise in this place.